Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to sports scientist at PSG, Mathieu Lacombe. Thanks for tuning in to episode 169 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So up today is Mathieu Lacombe, who is the second member of the performance department at PSG over the last couple of weeks. So big thanks to Martin Bushite for uh, introducing Mathieu to me and uh, recommended he come on the podcast. So up today we discuss uh, neuromuscular fatigue with Mathieu. Uh, we discuss a little bit about GPS and how that links into how the guys at PSG um, are using are using it to uh, to monitor fatigue, and also a little bit of a um, a discussion on accelerometers and what they can give um, over over GPS derived metrics, and that kind of links into nicely the chat we have on small sided games, a little bit about RPE, and finally about uh, data visualization, which I know is. Um, which is close to the heart of Matteo, so it's great to get uh, get his views on on data visualization and Tableau. I'm I'm definitely a big fan of uh, data visualization. Uh, I I think that effective communication is really necessary to increase coach buy-in, and it's one uh, of the most or more important soft skills to develop for practitioner working in an elite startup. But just before we do get into the chat with Matteo, just want to say a massive thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Groin Bar and Human Track for sponsoring this episode today. So Vald, I think, were one of the first sponsors of the podcast, so massive appreciation for them guys to see the value in the podcast early doors and continue to support it throughout over the last two and a half years. So also sponsoring this episode is uh, Black Box Fitness, who are a a gym equipment manufacturer based out of Belfast. So they manufacture and distribute their uh, high-class gym equipment all over Europe. Um, Have just recently, well, last couple of months, uh, done Everton's gym. They're also uh, UK distributors of play flooring in the UK. So make sure you check them out. So you can you can find Val Performance at valperformance.com and on Twitter at valperformance. And you can also find more information on Blackbox at blkboxfitness.com or on Twitter at the same at blkboxfitness. So thanks to them guys for allowing the podcast to continue in its current form. I really appreciate their their uh, their support. So over to the podcast with Mattia. I hope you enjoy and I will speak to you soon. So Mathieu Lacombe, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for giving up your time. Thank you, Rob. I'm very pleased to be on your podcast. Uh, to be honest, I was looking at the list of all the person who were on your podcast last year and they were almost all my mentor or people, people who have been role model for me. So it's definitely an honor for me to be here with you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Now I was actually I was doing that list on on Twitter and I looked back at the names and I thought, geez, Eric Cressy, Mike Boyle, obviously Martin. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's That's been great. Huge. It's huge. Yeah, great 2017 for the podcast. Um, but anyone that doesn't know who you are, 
do you just want to give us a little bit of a background from your from you and your maybe from your playing days to your rugby days to back to your football days? Yep, uh, easy. Um, I'm a former football player, quite short career. I was not good enough to make it pro, so then I move on to my study. Uh, start a sports science degree in uh, in France, and in 2010 I was looking for uh, a PhD. Um, struggling a bit to find something good in France, but in the same time the French rugby union was looking for two young guys who wanted to spend some hours doing a PhD and also work as a strength and conditioning. So I go into the process and get hired as long with. Um, Julien Robino. Um, there I was as so both strength and conditioning for under twenty uh, rebellion team and also the academy under nineteen, and also as a sports scientist uh, during seven years. And uh, two thousand seventeen, uh, Martin uh, Bichette called me uh, called me to join him at the. In the club, uh, he had an opportunity for for a sports scientist job. So for me, it was definitely uh, uh, something great to, to something good to to go to work with uh, with Martin, which is a, a great person and uh, a great sports scientist, and also to be back in my sport, uh, the football. So that's excellent. Yeah. So we, obviously Martin came on a couple of episodes ago and we had a little chat <clears throat> towards the end about the amount of emails and things that he gets from people looking for advice, people looking for jobs. So you're probably in a position that a lot of people want to be, which is working with Martin. What do you, what was it that, what was the process, how you got hired um, at PSG? Um, um, in 2014, uh Martin was uh, uh, was in my uh, PhD dissertation, so I met him met him there, and then from 2014 to 2017 we start exchanging email. Uh, to be honest, it was mainly me uh, sending emails to ask questions, <laughs> uh, but he is good for that. He always responds your your email, and uh, he was, he's he's always kind for for that. So he always answer my email. Um, and then in 2017, when an opportunity came up at the, at the club, uh, I think he first looked in, in his own network and, uh, maybe I was one of those guys. So just, he called me and, uh, I interned all the process to be, to be iron. So. When you, when you were emailing Martin in 2014, was, was there any thought of, I'll get to know this guy because there could be something come up or was it just a uh, general chats about training? I think to, um, to be 100% honest, there is a bit of both. Uh, yeah. I was uh, listening to David Joe's podcast, uh, the last couple of day. And, uh, he said in, in that world where you have kind of thousand people looking for a job as a sports scientist, you, you, Definitely need to build your your network. It's uh, something you need to invest some time in it. But in the meantime, you have to ask questions to people who are your mentors or role models if you want to to grow and uh, 
go outside your comfort zone as a sports scientist. So it was a bit of both, but uh, I think it's something really important to do. Absolutely. I've, I've had a chat a couple of times recently with people uh, who I've met or I've got in touch about that, about this, about networking. What, what have you, what do you do on a kind of week to week, month to month, year to year basis to, to keep that network going? Cause I know it's quite difficult when you're in a, yeah. you're in a full-time job, you've got Champions League games, you've got league games, you've got cup games, you've got research yeah. to do, you've got a new website with Martin, all these kind of things. <laughs> It's difficult to keep it going. How do you go about keeping the network building? To to be honest, I'm not super good uh, for that, but I think it's more about caring about people and uh, being interesting about their work and uh, what they are doing. So uh, you definitely have some questions about what they are doing, what they are doing, uh, research questions pop up like that, or even kind of basic, practical session from guys outside in other clubs or other sports. So pff, it's more about uh, looking for what people are doing, uh, finding something interesting and ask kind of good question for, for you and for them. So there is no, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't set up kind of uh on my on my outlook, I'm not I don't set up kind of oh I need to send an email to to Martin. It's been 13 days. I I've not done that, but it's kind of mainly I'm I was looking at all his paper and uh, what he was doing, and um, when I have a question, boom, back on my outlook and sending an email and said, okay, where did where did you use that? How did you use that? And uh, what the What's the practical application of, uh, of this stuff? And uh, then you get some some answer and you can go into deeper question. So mm-hmm. many asking question. Huh? Yeah. Just been interested in other people, I guess. Interested yeah. in the work, yeah. interested in the, the person himself. Okay, cool. Nice. So just to move on, um, I wanted to discuss some of the stuff um, that you've done, done some research on it is out there. Uh, on ResearchGate and whatnot, and one of them things was um, neuromuscular load, and it's something that you hear all the t- I, I hear all the time if you go into clubs and doing this for, for this reason that, that that term comes up. Do you just want to give us a bit of a, an introduction to what that actually means? What is neuromuscular load and fatigue? Uh, there is many many definitions in the literature depending of your field of your field of expertise about uh, neuromuscular fatigue. Neuromuscular fatigue traditionally, traditionally is associated with change anywhere on the pathway between the brain and the muscle fibers um, with effect at the motor unit level considered peripheral and events occurring upstairs in the brain or spinal cord considered central. But for me as a sports scientist with a practical, straight to the field interest, uh, a simple definition would be um, neuromuscular fatigue uh, is associated with a reduction in force and or power output of a muscle or a reduction in efficiency of this muscle group. And if we look at the recent paper we, we've published about neuromuscular load or neuromuscular work, it's more about uh, looking at what can affect neuromuscular fatigue and uh, so basically, it's 
uh, a compound of acceleration, deceleration, change of directions, all what you, uh, all what you, sorry, uh, every right. movement in every movement in, in which you will need to have kind of maximal muscle contraction. So that's mm -hmm. my definition. So are you, to, to get that neuromuscular load, are you accumulating all them things that you mentioned? So accelerations, decelerations, are you pulling them together to create a number? Um, using ADI, uh, okay. using ADI, we have a, uh, algorithm which, uh, use, uh, number and magnitude of acceleration, number and magnitude of deceleration, number and magnitude of change of duration to compound the number which is a neuromuscular load indicator. It's arbitrary units. Uh, it's also taken into account the, the waist of the, of the player. And uh, it can give you a great idea about the neuromuscular load of your training or your drills. Um, so that's great. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about ADI. Is that, is that all right? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So this is... So, I was actually speaking to some some of the guys at Irish Rugby because they've also got ADI, and that was that was just yesterday. So, so what more apart from the the kind of neuromuscular load um, indicator? What else does ADI give you? What is ADI? Uh, so in my in my experience, uh, the way Andrew uh, filter the the data, it's uh, something very advanced, maybe one of the more advanced I've seen uh, in the in the last couple of years. So it allows us to have super clean data, uh, and um, also it allows us to have a force load, which is a, a matrix uh, of the uh, the sum of impacts you have on the ground. Uh, but also it takes user uh, imbalances. So when you are force load, you can look at force load on the left leg, force load on the right leg. So look at imbalances. And uh, the way you go further than what I've seen in the past is that you get some these imbalances. You you get this on acceleration, deceleration, change of direction, high speed. So with that, you can have a a clear view of where the disbalance are, are happening and uh, then go back to the physios or the strength and conditioning coach and said, okay, I've seen um, imbalances during maybe deceleration. Uh, does he get a knee, knee pain or something like that? And something you can start a conversation with the player and some stuff can pop up. So that's great. Mm-hmm. So that so you export your GPS data and then run it through ADI yep. and that spits out all what you've just said. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's it. So okay, you get your data export into uh, a DB tree or SDB tree uh, file, then back into ADI, uh, bring everything into ADI. It's run the file and then export. Uh, basic CSV that we can uh, process in our own database and 
provide the reports. So is there, is there any research that you know of that is, that's looked at all these metrics from ADI? Or has there anything been done internally? I don't think I don't think too much done uh, except Martin's Martin's work, uh, but we've done we've done internal internal work and validation of all of those metrics and uh, so it's great. Okay, superb. So just back to the um, neuromuscular fatigue and that that all that often brings up with it uh, how to measure it yeah. and how to monitor it. What the, what. Just, I mean, I'm not asked to touch on what kind of goes on at the club, but what are your what are your views on the best ways, probably traditional ways to, to monitor it, and then what you yeah. think are the, the most yeah, sure. optimal ways to monitor it? Tra- traditionally, there is a uh, a lot of way to to monitor neuromuscular fatigue. Uh, if you are in a in a lab, you can measure it through maximal frontal contraction with EMG. But in the context of team sports, there is several limitations. You you really need specific setup for this test. It's time consuming. Uh, mainly, it's done on non-specific movement, and it's definitely not adapted to team sports. So back in the years, uh, people have moved on more uh, power assessments as the means to uh, track neuromuscular fatigue. So one basic possibility, and it's one of the main used testing now in top clubs is through maximum jump test with tools such as team aware or force deck you are now able to monitor jump performance on a weekly basis in a team of let's say 30 to 40 players um so linear encoder all you a lot of monitoring of maximum ace peak and mean power peak or mean velocity during the jump uh, with force plate, you can go even further and assess contraction to flight time ratios. So that's that's something I was using a lot when I was working with the French rugby union. Um, we were using this kind of test on a weekly basis to track how player can cope with the training load or competition demand during congested period. Um, it's quite really interesting, um, but there is. Some limitation also, you need to set up a proper warm-up. So you need to have a proper strength session or power session. Uh, you need to assess player one by one, or if you have two or three GMOI, you can do two or three by three, but it's also, again, a bit time consuming. Um, more recently, uh, we may propose a simple maximal second test on the wild bike as a way to monitor neuromuscular fatigue also. Well, it's quite simple. Huh? Following a five-minute warm-up again on the bike, you just need to perform two sprints of five to six seconds on a wild bike with a one-minute break. So if you have, let's say, five wild bikes in 40 minutes, all your team can be tested. So it's less specific, but a bit more practical in my in my opinion. Um, Is that just looking at peak power, Mathieu? Um, so, one of my uh, rugby students, uh, when I was at the FFR, was um, compared the usefulness of jumping and cycling tests and all the different metrics. Uh, if you want to get all, all those data, it's been published in Sport Performance and Science Reports, so all the data set is avi- available for who wants to, to redo the, the stats and everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, 
basically a report that the ratio of typical error and to small swaths were changed was the lowest for maximal power during the cycling test compared to all other vi variables uh, or tests. So the more useful uh, for me is to monitor neuromuscular performance on a cycling test with uh, maximum power. The mean of the two sprints is the best. But if you can't do cycling test or you want to stick to jump test, then you should consider using peak velocity rather than ace or mean power. I think it's the best signal to know the ratio. And so it's uh, most useful to most useful to consider when uh, looking at jump test. But just go on, sorry, go on, sorry, Matteo, go on, carry on. Uh, just, just as a side note, uh, in this study, it was not elite athletes. It was uh, sub-elite athletes. So maybe with elite athletes with better training, more uh, familiarities to jump tests, the jump tests numbers can become better. So you can decrease the, the noise and uh, increase the usefulness of the of the test, but with young guys without a clear and reliable jump technique, I would better track power on the cycling test. No problem with technique. So sorry to, to go over that again. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do the, the watt bike test that you mentioned, the, the six second sprints, you'd look at you look at peak power and yeah. the mean across the, the two the two tests. What would you look at if you were and how would you set up the um using it the gym aware? What kind of weight would you look at? What kind of exercise would you use? And what, um, and what was the metric again that you'd look at? Uh, we were using a simple counter movement jump because it's uh, the more reliable for, uh, let's say, for athletes. Um, we were doing a basic four jumps, uh, uh, exclude the lowest and highest uh, values, mean the two other values, and look at... Uh, uh, peak velocity, which is the more reliable, uh, and also, uh, the more sensitive to training or competition schedule. So for me, it's the best variable to, to track. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, and how, and what kind of differences are you looking for before you make an intervention? Um, just doing some stuff, uh, basic stats, uh, uh, looking at clear variations. So knowing the typical error and the small twice what change, you can sum up the two. Uh, I think uh, typical error for that kind of test is around 2%. Small worst what change is about uh, 3% around that. So if you have a roughly, let's say, 5% percent decrease in your performance you have a 75 percent of a clear decrease in your performance so when you have let's say five percent or more decrease in performance you should highlight and change your your routine or change your training if you want to adapt your training mm -hmm. So, so for you, for your guys, we're obviously working in football. Would that, what would that result in? I mean, I know there's so many things that how you could manipulate that, but is that is that an increase in intensity? Is that a, a reduction in the volume that these guys are doing? How, what, how does that play out uh, in football? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, to, to to be truly honest, in, in in football, when you look at the at the schedule, uh, 
And uh, when you play 10 games in a month, it's very difficult to schedule proper testing session and in turn get uh, proper monitoring. Uh, you get a match day. Day plus one is recovery. Day plus two is, oh, Jesus, I'm day minus one already. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm in the preparation of the game, so I can change nothing. So, uh-huh. But in the meantime, in this congested schedule, uh, in the meantime where you need to monitor all the player cup with the feature and the load, so definitely you need to find something else than traditional testing uh, traditional testing to get some insight into how the player cope with fatigue and the training load. Um, and I think it's some, some things that should be integrated to your daily, uh, daily process and daily training. And you, you can't add something to your, to your training during this kind of feature. It's, too tough. Mm-hmm. So, what would the non-traditional um, techniques be? Um, it would be mainly look at GPS variables, maybe. Um, so we have a, a lot of way to do to do this. So, um, for mainly, mainly activity patterns. In uh, in football, I'm more influenced by contextual variables. So, using uh, overall output in the session is not the most appropriate uh, variables to directly monitor playing training status. So, we need to look at individual player change and track these numbers to get some insight and about are they cope with training or or not? Are they coping with training or not? So, pff, you have. A couple of options. Huh? Uh, once, uh, and it's something uh, quite famous that currently it's kind of acute chronic ratio, but for me it's more representative of a balance between the recent load and more chronic load. Uh, it's interesting to get some information about potential disbalance between stress and overall fitness, but uh, it don't give you any information about of the player is coping with the with the training load. It's interesting to estimate injury risk, uh, but if you have, for example, two same players with the same loading chain, you will get the same acute chronic load. But most likely, they they are not coping in the same way uh, with the load. So it's a way, but definitely not my favorite. I I I use that one for having. Uh, kind of injury risk and uh, balance between stress and, and load. But if I want to get some insights into um, all my players are coping, I will look mainly at uh, something we call daily readiness. Something uh, you need to normalize. Uh, it's inter- a bit tough to explain, but it's <laughs> inter-player comparison. So you need that you look at the player activity relative to uh, the mean or median of a, of your team of, of a group of specific player. We get the same profile or same position. And then you look at the trend of your player in that uh, in his position. So let's, let's uh, explain it a bit deeper. Uh, maybe during small side game, um, mainly where the player self 
pace this activity, you know that your player A uh, is always 3% or roughly 3% above the rest of the group. Then your 3% start to be your baseline and you follow this, the trend in this number and trying to detect if there is early sign of neuromuscular fatigue with numbers starting to decrease and going from M3% above, but then I'm in the mean and then start to be very tired and I, I'm above the, the mean. So mm-hmm. another way. Sorry, uh, Michael. No, no. But again, you have no information about internal loads uh, and the stress plate placed on the athlete. It's just uh, it's just locomotor data. Um, so we start to to look at uh, how we can predict um, a share uh, a threat. Sorry us rate at the end of uh, a split and compare those two. Um, so uh, it's basically, um, how can I say, a work efficiency model, kind of cost output relationship. So um, back in the past, I know that Martin looked at uh, this kind of relationship with a uh, relative total distance, so meter per minute on uh, express on RP and you look at the balance between two those two and you can see that uh, the more the player are fit the more this number start to to decrease uh, start to increase sorry um, that is the same stuff with uh, all acrobat uh, work uh, we look at total distance ratio with uh, A-trims, which is a derivative of earth rate ratio. So we use a, a bit of different uh, methodology. We've done some multiple regression analysis to tend to identify which combination of GPS related variables. So total distance, high speed running, force load, mechanical work. We've talked about that sooner where associated with earth rate during that drill. Then we use the result from the regression to predict the earth rate from the GPS data that say, okay, today ah, in that drill, you've run at kind of 70 meters per minute. You've done three acceleration per minute. We've done uh, five mechanical work per minute. So based on that numbers, I can predict that your earth rate would have been uh, 80% of your maximal earth rate. Then I compare this number to the real earth rate of the player on that day. So let's say I predict you have 80% uh, earth rate, 80% of your maximal earth rate, but in the end you get uh, 86% of your maximal earth rate so then I look at the delta of those two uh, metrics and look for trend in in um, in this number. Um, we have recently submitted a paper where we show that this change, the changes in this matrix, was uh, were related to changes in earth rate during a 
classic submaximal four minutes straight light run. So with this kind of metric, it can now be easy to get information almost on a daily basis. In football or rugby, you do small side games on a, almost on a daily basis. It's training, you have a, your component of games or possession. So you can track this number almost on a daily basis and most important, it's during normal practice. So removing the need for us to do more formal testing. So that's great. So that's, that removes the need to do the submaximal testing that a lot of people are now doing? Uh, you get, you get r- roughly the same information, but if you combine those two, you can get on submaximal uh, four-minute straight line run, uh, you get a sense of gen- generic fitness, which is great. Uh, is my prayer is generic fit, so it can uh, is fit for straight line learning. But when you add this uh, to the, um, um, let's say the small side game, uh, HR prediction stuff, you get some more specific fitness testing. So if you compare those two, you can say, okay, this guy definitely need more uh, generic work, kind of intermittent work, straight line, or he need to move on to more specific stuff and more small side game, more, let's say, um, I don't know, specific uh, repetition of sprint involving uh, change of direction, acceleration, deceleration, that kind of stuff. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Matteo. So I hope you enjoyed part one. So coming up in part two, more on small sided games a little bit more about GPS and then moving on to the use of accelerometers and what they can uh, what they can give us with regards to what uh, what was discussed in part one. Then moving on to data visualization and Tableau in particular, and then finishing off with two of the books that Matteo has identified as, as the most influential in his career. So they the links to them books will be on strengthofscience.com forward slash 169 and will also go out on Twitter. But just before we do get into part two, just want to say a big thanks to Forstex for sponsoring this episode today. So if you do want to get to know more about Forstex, I would encourage you to check out episode 139 of the podcast, where co-owner of Forstex, Dr. Daniel Cohen, talks about jump monitoring. And it's definitely not a sales pitch for Forstex. Dan goes into a lot of detail. So if you are interested in jump monitoring, uh, I definitely encourage you to check that out. And if you are interested in getting to know about the product, Forstex, visit them on their website at forstex.com and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So over to part two with Matteo. Hope you enjoy and I will speak to you soon. So with this, with this using these small-sided games, how many, how much of a bank of, of these specific kind of four by fours, five by fives on certain pitch sizes do you need before you can gain that in that sort of insights? Um, I'd said uh, you can pull all the different small side game because based on different metrics you get you get the prediction of your earth rate. So okay. you, can pull, yep. you can pull everything but if you want to do an individual model for your player you will need at least 40 to, to 40 to 50 uh, data point, which is kind of 
one month of data, but which is cool is that uh, if you don't have any points, you can use a generic model, start with that. And once you have one month of data, move on to a individual model for that player. So you're not stuck at the start of the season when you have a new player, you, okay, go on, use a generic model, follow the trend. And when you have enough data, move on to a more individual model for that guy. Mm -hmm. So in, in this, um, in this example, you're not having to have a specific small sided game. That's a specific length of time with a specific, uh, area to be able to do this work. It can be based on 6v6, yep. 7v7, 8v8. It can be anything. Yep. Yep. Is that the, is that the idea? Perfect. Uh, okay. Yep. Because the, the, the problem with, um, specific small side game, let's say, okay, we need a 6v6 plus goalkeeper. And, um, let's say your coach, uh, like, uh, tactics and he just want to swap or uh, adapt his small side game to the team you will face. You never had a small, small side game. So pff, you're stuck. So with this kind of stuff, you can use it, uh, you, all your small side game, position stuff, game simulation, and, uh, put your data into your model try to predict Earth's rate and see what the difference between the numbers and for the trends. So anyone interested in what you've just said, what, what kind of re what research would you encourage them to, to read? Oh, sorry. Didn't... Sorry. If, if anyone wants a little bit more information apart from emailing you to ask you, what kind of re what kind of, um, where would they look re research wise? to get a little bit more information on what you've just said? Um, this, is a, this is a paper which just been submitted. Uh, so we hope it's going gonna, gonna to be published. We hope so, finger crossed. But if you want to start, you can start with, uh, uh, I think it was Bartlett paper. We look at uh, individual model for to predict RPE uh, or some stuff done by... Um, Ah, we've done this. Uh, give me a minute. Uh, was um, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Sam Robertson. Ah, sorry. Sam Robertson would, would, would do some stuff with a kind of prediction of uh, RPE based on machine learning or some stuff like that. So you can start with that. And uh, when... Or paper will be online. Maybe you can you can get more information or about or you can apply this type of work into uh, normal practice and um, and your daily business. So you spoke quite a bit about uh, manipulating uh, GPS metrics, but how would you use accelerometers? Are you using accelerometers to for, for anything in particular? Um, yeah, I, in the past, uh, I was not using accelerometers too much because um, sampling frequency and uh, uh, let's say validity of the accelerometer data were not that good. But this year, we get a new batch of GPS device, uh, GPS Evo, that's for Apex, Catapult G5 to see to, to cite a few, uh, which are now incorporating accelerometer with frequency above 400 hertz if i don't say 
silly stuff, but yeah, 400 Hertz. So now level three, what we call level three, it's accelerometer type data are, more, are now more easily available and likely more accurate than in the past. So we can look at stride characteristic, kind of contact and flight time calculated from accelerometer data. So from these two variables, it's now possible to calculate vertical stiffness, so K, variable K, which has been shown to decrease substantially with neuromuscular fatigue. So you need uh, something quite uh, standardized to do this, but during typical box-to-box uh, -box run, uh, um, we've we've demonstrated that the typical error for vertical stiffness is a bit slightly greater than uh, when calculated on the field than during indoor treadmill, but it's kind of typical errors, 11% in my versus 6% on an indoor treadmill, something like that, but it's remained pretty small. And the, uh, the ratio again, typical error to small swipe rate change. Uh, let us think about this as a useful uh, metrics to track. So accelerometer now offer the possibility to, min to monitor straight characteristic during standardized running boat in the field. So box to box, one line warm ups. And so it uh, provides new perspective for the monitoring of neuromuscular statue into ecological condition. So with all this tool, we have the possibility to get enough, far enough insight into player potential neuromuscular fatigue. So why bother players and coach to schedule other specific testing session every, every week or twice every week to, to get more insight. We have far enough to follow trends and uh, adapt our training. Mm -hmm. So the, so the, the stuff that get the, the data that gets exported to go into ADI, that's, yeah. that's all accelerometer data or is that GPS data or both? Uh, both. Both. Okay. With ADI, you have, you have both, but uh, yeah. to assess uh, straight characteristic, uh, so contact and flight time, you can just export your accelerometer data into uh, AI software or MATLAB and run your calculation by, by yourself. So if you don't have ADI, you we can do this for you. Maybe just do it into AIR or MATLAB. Huh? Mm -hmm. Just cost, cost benefits again. It's what, sorry? It's just about uh, thinking about cost benefits. You can cost. get cost. Yeah, a great benefit, but if it costs you too much to do, uh, don't do it. But with ADI, <laughs> you put the data into ADI, two minutes later, you get your your result. And so cost is really many more. Uh, it's kind of one one map or five box to box. Uh, put your data into ADI. Five minutes later, you have all your data into your, your computer and you can get some insight into how the player are coping or not. So that's great. Of course, it's minimal, minimal. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So one last thing that I wanted to chat to you about um, was data visualization. And it's something that seems to come up quite a bit now with people investing in Tableau and yep. Power BI and them kind of things. Yeah. What what yeah. How are you going about it? What are the kind of tools that you use uh, at the club, I'm I'm definitely a big fan of uh, data visualization. Uh, I I think that effective communication 
is really necessary to increase cash buy-in. And it's one uh, of the most or more important soft skills to develop for practitioner working in a little startup. Um, I'm a big fan of Tableau. I use it uh, not on a daily basis, but almost. Um, it's it's a tool uh, in a world where you have more data than ever, but also less time uh, to analyze everything. Uh, you need to be straight to the point uh, when you want to communicate. Look, you have Twitter. Uh, now you have Sport Performance and Science Report if you look for paper. So <laughs> why do we need to stick to reports with lots of numbers and pages when we can do some great dashboard, interactive? Um, so... I think we, 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 we definitely need to, to, to move on and invest time into learning how to represent our, our data and uh, in engaging way because now people have kind of three to three to five minutes to read the, the report. So if you have a three or four page full of data report, it's, it's not doing the job for me, in my opinion. So... so- do you use Tableau specifically for your coaches, for your technical coaches, or is that because it's more interactive and easy to kind of handle, or is that used for other things as well? Uh, I use it uh, to do. Um, uh, I, I start when I start working with with Martin, which is a really fast thinker. Uh, I was sending a, a a report to to him, and he was always asking. Eh, and what if we try to compare this and this? So I was back on my report, doing the analysis, sending back the report, and mm, what if we try to compare this and this now? <laughs> and so sometimes it's, he worked a lot. So sometimes the email was kind of 11 p.m. and I was, ah, fuck, I can't answer this <laughs> tomorrow morning. So, but he needs the answer now. So for me, it was mainly reporting to to all the people I need to and all of the decision maker to test all the what if scenario he wants. So mainly it's with, mainly with in my reporting with, with Martin or in my research project, I love representing my data into Tableau and okay, what if I remove this player? Boom, you have the, visa- the visualization. What if I swap those two metrics and what happened? Like, boom, you have everything you want. So mm-hmm. not great too. And how did you how did you learn Tableau, Mathieu? Just online and um, mainly YouTube? Uh, not YouTube. I start. Uh, you go on Tableau website. There is a huge, huge community of people uh, loving Tableau. So you can find almost uh, every information you 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 need on the on the platform. But then I start uh, going deeper with something called the Makeover Monday. It's uh, something do- done by Eva Murray and Andy Kribel. They are both uh, superstar of, of Tableau in the in the world. If you talk with one guy about Tableau and he know a bit about his stuff, he will tell you. But Andy is a superstar working in the past for Google and um, now. Uh, working as an evangelist of Tableau. Uh, you can check his Andy website, is uh, viswiz.com. And uh, every Monday, 
there is a makeover Monday, so it's super basic. On Sunday, they give you a data set and uh, uh, visualization, and you have one or two hours on Monday to try to uh, make a better visualization, do your stuff, and then you send this to Eva and Andy on Twitter, and they can review all the visualization and uh, said, okay, those five were the, were the best and what the lesson to, uh, what, what, what we learned from this. So that's great. Um, also you have on Wednesday, it's kind of work Wednesday. So Andy put on his website, uh, kind of viz you have to reproduce. And, uh, it's, there is always a kind of specific point you have, you have to, to deal with. So that, that's great to train also. And on Tuesday you have, uh, your kind of tablet tip Tuesday. It's a free tip. Guys, <laughs> all week you have some stuff and uh, all week. All week. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, there should be three or four decrebers in the in the world because mm. every day there is some stuff. It's 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 great. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Right. There is some people who start from from nothing to becoming kind of superstar of databases in one year on one year and a half, uh, following all the stuff. No, it's super interactive to, to learn and, uh, super easy. So it's great. Brilliant. So my last question to you, Matteo is two books yep. that have been most influential in your, in your career so far. Um, I would say the first one is blackboard thinking for Matthew Syed. I don't know if, Sorry, Mr. Syed, if I mal unpronounce your name, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm guessing your English is probably better than 99.9% .9 of everyone's French. So don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I read this book, uh, in 2015, back from the Juno World Cup. Uh, we did one of the worst performance for a French team ever in this competition this year. And we were all devastated by the, by these results. So I bought this book and it turned my mind into, okay, uh, I, I will be devastated for one year long till there is another junior World Cup, or can I grab this major opportunity to learn from my mistakes or mistakes and uh, or failure? So it, this book is great. It said that failures set the stage for new 80s and that we progress fastest when we face a failure and learn from it. So that's something I try to keep in my mind every day. Um, Excellent. Second book, it's number uh, two. Number two is uh, uh, I said Legacy from James Kerr. It's about the all blacks and their culture. Again, I read that one when I was in the in the Ruby uh, after. Uh, we went to the summer fun of the junior World Cup and uh, we were super happy, but then we faced the All Black and uh, they uh, put us uh, 40 points in the in the face. So we get back home with a <laughs> 40, 40 points loss. So uh, I read that book at that moment. It's, it's funny because uh, when I read that book in 2014, my main role was coaching uh, and strength and conditioning coach. And I saw that the principles were for my players. But I reread this book uh, last year, and I understand that uh, I was the one who need to apply this concept also. 
So just if I took some of the in in the last page of the book, you have kind of the 15 concept of the book. So if you are bothered reading all the book, just look at the two last page, and it's great. Um, let's say tell I, Ma- tell Martin because he because he says he doesn't finish books. Yeah, so he just <laughs> yeah, needs the 15 sure, points. Sure. But <laughs> I know that Yann uh, Lemer do did a did an infography on that one. So even quicker, I can just have a look at the infography. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you don't have to buy the book. Yeah, don't need. Uh, but if if you look at some of the principles, it's great. It uh, sweeps the sheets. So you are never too big to do the small things. So even if you are one day at the top, you are never too big to do uh, the small things that need to be done. Go uh, for the gap. When you are on top of your game, you need to change your game, go outside your comfort zone and try to innovate. So that's great. Um, play with purpose. When you are doing your, your job, ask why, ask why you are doing this. Uh, ask mentors, ask people uh, questions to improve again your, yourself and improve your what you are doing on a daily basis. Uh, concept kind of four or five, it's leaders, create, create leaders. So... Uh, I've been super, super lucky in my life to have great mentors. Uh, I can speak freely with Jan, Martin, uh, and some of the top guys. So it's great. But now it's also, I think, my role. I'm not a, a far away to be a leader, but it's my role also to answer questions and give back in return to my students mm-hmm. and every everyone. Um, I think concepts eight or nine it's embrace expectation so jump out to your, your comfort zone uh challenge yourself <laughs> that's why i'm doing the podcast also today so <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid do it and uh if you fail good you have a great lesson to for you if you if you're successful okay embrace new expectation and one one last concept keep a blue head so even under pressure control your attention uh Master your your basics and uh, do it well. So pff, it's concepts you can apply to your team, but also to to yourself. So that's that's definitely a, a great great book to to lead and one of the uh, major book for me. Superb. Well, Matthew, where can people? Um, are you you're you're on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah. You're on Twitter. You got a research gate page as well. Yep. Also. So my Twitter is so you, uh, Matt Lacombe, uh, at Matt Lacombe, so M-A-T-H-L-A-C-O-M-E, Matt Lacombe. And um, cool. my research gate is the uh, same thing, Mathieu Lacombe, Isaac on the research gate. <laughs> yeah, superb. No, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for giving me time, and I really appreciate it. I, I'm always astounded when people come on when English isn't their first language. Yeah. So, super respect for um, for that for for doing that. So, really appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. It was a great time being here with you and uh, talking about all those points with you. That's great. Thank you. Thanks, mate. And we'll keep in touch. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to episode 169 of the Pasty Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Mattia. So just before I let you go, if you are enjoying the podcast and the, the guests that are, uh, that are coming on, the information that has been delivered, make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. 
which will mean that you get an automatic download of the podcast every Thursday when it comes out. So there's some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from a variety of different sports and backgrounds. So we definitely have something to look forward to. But finally, massive thanks to the sponsors of the episode today, Valve Performance, Forstex, and Black Box Fitness. So I hope to speak to you in the next couple of weeks and I will chat soon.